Once again, dear church family and friends, this Lord's Day we continue with our Bible study series in the life of Joseph. We're now on our 19th study, if you're counting. Like I mentioned, uh, today is really an evangelistic appeal, a gospel appeal. I've left deliberately the last few verses of Genesis 48 to appeal to us about death. What does death mean from a biblical perspective and how we can know of true comfort when we breathe our last, really. And we see here with, with, with Jacob, with Israel, we see here the almost optimism and the joy and the assurance and peace that he had in his dying years. So that's, that's what I'm aiming for, as it were. Uh, but just to recap on our Tuesday, Just Gone's, our Bible studies, uh, Just Gone's study, We considered that Jacob formally and legally adopts both Joseph's sons, uh, Manasseh the eldest and Ephraim the youngest. And we considered the great significance of that moment that Hebrews 11 records. This was a great, mighty act of faith. You see, uh, Joseph, it it must have been on Joseph's heart that his children may be cut off from the family of Israel. After all, they had an Egyptian mother. They were born in Egypt. They were Egyptians. And so this must have been on Joseph's heart for years. But you see, Jacob, Israel, he says they're mine. They belong to me. He adopts them into the family of Israel which meant the promises of Israel, the inheritance of Israel, would be true of them. You see, Jacob Israel had this great-grandfatherly vision of faith that his grandchildren would put their trust not in the culture, not seek the sophisticated Egyptian culture and the things of that, but they would put their trust in the God of Israel. And this was a relief of course, to, uh, to Joseph. He, there's, no, there's no argument here, is there? He, if someone did that to us, I'm taking your children, I'm adopting them, he would say, hold on a second. But no, this is a relief to, to uh, Joseph. He is del- delighted with this. Of course, he was guided by the spirit of prophecy. Ephraim would become a numerous people, a great tribe, more so than Manasseh. And so they had a great heritage. All the promises of the God of Abraham were true of them as well. They were not cut off. They would become Israelites. But also we thought about how Jacob unusually defied tradition to the displeasure of Joseph, didn't he? He blessed the younger first before the elder. The elder was supposed to be given a double portion. And Joseph deliberately put his hand, put uh, Manasseh to his right hand and Ephraim to his left hand. And Jacob, as it were, upset the apple cart and he crossed his, his, his right arm, put his hand on Ephraim and put his left hand, arm and hand on Manasseh. This upset uh, Joseph, of course, he was guided by prophecy. He wasn't trying to deceive Joseph, but we th- thought of the larger context here. We thought of that crossed 
what we have penned and I've heard as cross-handed theology. That God's ways, friends, are simply not man's ways. You see, man, man looks upon the strength. He looks upon the horse and not the donkey. He looks upon the outward and not the internal. He looks upon the, doesn't look upon the heart, you see. But God, friends, looks upon the weak things, the despised things of this world. He, and if we would but humble ourselves and become weak and despised and humble ourselves before Almighty God, well, then we will find grace in the sight of God. So God is telling us something from here. God often, and we see this right throughout Scripture, blesses the younger, the weaker, the despised, the foolish things of this world that no person may, may bring to God, no person may uh, glory in the flesh, as it were. And of course, we see here, dear friends, how Joseph welcomed this, didn't we? But now for today's sermon, friends, I've, I've, like I said, I've left in particular that verse 21 as an evangelistic appeal. Will you and I have comfort in death when we breathe our last, when we've been brought into this life, into eternity? Will we have true comfort in death? That's what we see with, with Israel here. He had great comfort in expectation of dying soon. But also there is a sense here of real joy and assurance in his words. He says in verse 21, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Joseph, I'm going to die now. I'm dying, Joseph. I can't be there for you anymore. I can't be there for my children anymore. As a covenant leader, head, he, he often felt the pressure of this. And he could see this, how he's finally reunited with, with Joseph. I'm not going to be there for you anymore, Joseph. I'm not going to be there for, for, for the other, my other sons and children, my grandchildren. But God will be your father. In other words, God will be your father. I'm going to be brought into that heavenly Canaan. To the, the same which my fathers walked with. They are with him now. I'm going to be brought in to be with them. There's this optimism. There's this upbeat attitude here. There's this assurance here. I'm going to... God will be with you. The God that heard my cry, in other words, and delivered me from all my troubles, all evil. The God that redeemed me, redeemed my life, as it were, who forgave me and paid the full debt of my sin. That God's going to be with you, Joseph, and protect you. The God that fed me all my life. The God that bore long with me. I said all things were against me. And yet, yet all things seemingly were going for me. This God is going to be with you. The God that multiplied and made me fruitful in a foreign land. The God that, that gave me exceedingly wonderful promises. This God will be your father. And bring you, as it were, into that heavenly Canaan. You see, friends, what extraordinary Peace and assurance we see here in the face of death. It's surprising, isn't it? It's surprising. Why? Why, after all, death in the Bible and death as we know it is the king of terrors, as we read earlier 
in Job 18.4. The king of terrors. It's always in the back of our minds, isn't it? It's, it's, it's always there, as, as it were. It's, it's always on the back of our minds, no matter how often we try to put it off. We can try to cover it up, we can try to distract ourselves from death, but we know it's coming. And so why is Israel so upbeat? <laughs> why is he so at peace? Why is he, has this, why is he so assured? Well, to answer that question, let us consider two simple truths. Firstly, the truth about death. I want to talk a little bit about death and how the Bible personifies death. So firstly, the truth about death. It's very different from what our culture will have, you know. Firstly, the truth about death. And secondly, having comfort in death. We must have true comfort and assurance in death. Secondly, having comfort in death. Firstly, then, the truth about death. Has, has, like I said, very, has been very much been obscured by our culture. It's been covered up. We, as a culture, have been desensitized about what death actually means. What death actually means. We've been led to believe that death is just a momentary experience for a time when you get ill and, and the physical act of dying. And I've heard it countless times before, when you die, that's it. And you don't have any memory. There's no such thing as hell or heaven. That's what's going to happen. And friends, that is not it. Because when we die, we know that, that we will be ushered in to judgment. We'll all be held accountable to the lives that we have been given by God. Our lives are on loan. They're on lease. They don't belong to us. They belong to God. We'll be ushered into judgment. We'll have to give an account to what we've done with the lives that we have and what we have really trusted in, in our hearts and in our lives. And friends, we really know this to be true, don't we? Because we know from the Bible what causes death. Sin causes death. When Adam fell into sin, we all fell with him. Death, friends, has affected all of, all of us. As it says in Ephesians 2, Here I have you been quickened, who are dead in trespasses and sins. We know by nature... Really, from the moment we're born, we are, we are dying, aren't we? We, we are dying because we, we're, like David said, I was born in, in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. So the moment we're, li- we're, we're born, we, we are born with a, we're born with this death, as it were, this spiritual death. We're closed off to the things of God. And so we know. Do we not that the, the wages of sin is death? Death is coming to all of us. They, people cannot understand why we get sick. Why do we get sick? It's because of death. Many things, suffering, it's because of, it's because of sin. And it's because it leads to death. The word of God here, and this is the point I'm, I really want to get to, the word of God here often personifies death as a person. Do you know, have you noticed that? The king of terrors, Job says. It personifies death as a person. Its description, we know, is true. We know it's true. Not, we know uh, what the Bible explains about death is true in our hearts because we've experienced it. Death is described as the king of terrors. And it is. It's very demanding, isn't it? It's relentless upon our lives. In 
1 Corinthians 15:26 it's called the last enemy. In other words, it really is intimating to us its stronghold upon our lives. It's the last enemy. It's the king of terrors. Death as the king of terrors stalks us all throughout our lives. It's like a lion in the, in the grass in the Serengeti, doesn't it? It stalks us as Saul stalked David. It's, it's relentless. It's demanding. It will keep on coming for us. And we spend much time, much of our lives, avoiding death, don't we? Distracting ourselves, trying to perhaps beautify ourselves, perhaps try to keep the grey hairs from coming. Many such things we, we spend our lives, well, death is not happening to me. And we try to kid ourselves. Death, though, friends, is always there. It's the great shadow hanging over us. It's the inner foreboding that we fear and that we dread. It's always stalking us. It's demanding. It's relentless. Death, dear friends, is like a proud dictator. It's completely unreasonable. You cannot reason with death. Death, friends, like I said, is restless. It's relentless. It's always on the hunt like a lion. It's, it's always stalking you. Sometimes we can have near misses. I've had a number of near misses in my life. And sometimes we think, oh, I've got away from that. But who knows, dear friends, what another day will bring. Death is demanding. It's relentless. It's restless. It's as an embittered slayer, as it were, seeking to avenge itself. And death, dear friends, entices us, tempts our youth and people to take unreasonable risks with their life, to neglect God's salvation, to, to, to love the creature more than the creator. To burn the string, as it were, at both ends. To live in excess and lavishness. To neglect our never-dying souls. You see, friends, we seek to distract ourselves from this truth. We read Proverbs 7 earlier, which describes death as a strange woman's house. An ungodly woman's house. A harlot's house. It can be alluring. It can be persuasive and loud and standoutish. It can pull you in. It is so disingenuous, isn't it? It is full of dead man's bones. Solomon knew all about that, didn't he? People are said to flirt with death, aren't they, dear friends? To flirt with it. To have a love affair with death. Millions of people are charmed and captivated by death. They're distracted by death, by its violent movies, by its CGI action films, by its uh, crime dramas, by its violent TV games. People are flirting with death, friends. There's an appeal. There's something in a man that wants that darkness, that desires death, that makes light of death. Death toys with us, friends. It taunts us. It says, come on. Take another risk. Take another chance, as it were. I remember being in London, and this, uh, we came, you know, the, the, the tube shooting out and out, in and out of London. And uh, this, this, this lady was uh, wanting to get on the tube, and she didn't know where she was going. And she said, I wasn't from around then. She said, uh, does this go to St. Pancras or some other place? And I was like, I haven't a clue. I know where I'm going. And she said, I'm going to risk it. And she just jumped in. And that's really what death does, friends. It toys with us. It taunts us. It provokes us to prioritize the creature and forget about our maker. Dear friends, death is so dishonest. 
isn't it? It's, it's like the Absalom standing in the way of the gate. It blinds us to the things of God. It misleads us of the, of the king of kings, of God's judgments, of God's heart towards us, that he will have all men to be truly converted. God wants us to seek his face. Death is like the Absalom. It stands in the way of the gate. It blinds us. It distracts us, doesn't it? Death has no qualms about taking your loved ones, dear friends, suddenly and taking you from them. Death, friends, is cruel and ruthless. It's the Herod that seeks to snap out the most innocent of life. The Bible personifies death in this way. It is the reason why millions of babies are selfishly and cruelly killed in the womb every year, friends. Death is catching up to each and every one of us, dear friends, every day. And who knows what another day will bring. It does not want you to know how close it really is, friends. If you, I kind of, I like watching sometimes wildlife documentaries. You can tell quite a lot by them how animals almost very quickly escape the jaws of death so much. Friends, how many times, friends, have we escaped the jaws of death? I'll tell you a little bit about my poor mother, how she bore along with us. As children, I've, I've had so many near-death experiences, and so have my, of my, uh, have my siblings. I remember when I was, I must have been eight, nine years old, climbing up the, the side of our double-story house, climbing up the side of the wall. I was following my brother Jason, and we climbed right up to the top of the wall. He got in the window, but the tile started slipping from beneath me, and I fell, uh, probably from a, a great height, probably from that straight onto the concrete, onto my head. And a, and a tablespoon of, of, of chunk of meat came out my head and started carrying it away. And I literally escaped from the skin of my teeth. Just about survived that. Stitched up, I've got some stitches on my head there. Um, I remember, dear friends, when I was in my teen years rebelling from the Lord God. I was brought up as a Christian, but I rebelled from the Lord God. I haven't told this to many people, but I'll tell this to you today. That I remember I went to this party, and I wasn't supposed to, to go to this party. I was doing wrong. Uh, it was in a dangerous part of Cape Town called Table Point. It was a horrible party. It was full of darkness and, and alcohol and all, the, all such wicked things, dear, dear friends. The, the horrible movies, wicked movies, full of death. And I remember I took a... I just wanted to get out with a friend and we, we, we went for a walk at table view at night. Very bad thing to do, especially if you're young. Um, and I remember this one person came up to us and he, uh, he asked for a cigarette from uh, my friend and my friend gave him one. He invited us to his house. So we went to his house and... Uh, he then started talking to us and he, and he admitted to me, he said to us, I don't know why we did that, but he said to me, he said, you know what, earlier I was thinking about killing you and your friend. He told me that. He said, I was going to kill you and your friend, mug you. Life in South Africa, friends, it's, it means nothing. People will kill you over a couple of, cup, 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 couple of rounds. And he said to me, I, I was thinking about killing you tonight. He told me that. And I, and I believe God put in his heart not to do that that night. Friends, I could have been, I, me and my, we, we couldn't have been here now. 
I literally, that could have been it. I could have been, been in hell, friends. Who knows what another day will bring? God's spirit will not always strive with man's spirit. Death, friends, is a coward. It's, it's, it is how Hazael was to King Benadad. It tells us half the truth of our condition, doesn't it? You'll, you'll, you'll certainly survive, you'll certainly, but it doesn't tell us of our sickness, of our disease of sin, does it? It doesn't tell us of our, how near we are, all of us, to death, to judgment. Its intentions, friends, are to disguise itself, to distract us so we don't think upon death. Our culture is doing that. That's why we have all these entertainments, so, just, so we don't think upon death. When you're low and depressed, death will seek to get you lower and to finish you off in enemy territory. Death is what disfigures us, friends, it's what discolors us, it breaks down, as it were, every part of our lives because of sin and death. Death is completely unapproachable. It cannot be reasoned with. Everything that you've obtained in your life, every good value to your part of your life, your reputation, what people think of you, worldly honours, worldly pleasures, reputation, great achievements, it's all going to be lost in death. It's gone. Only that which is done for Christ is going to last, dear friends. Very solemn, isn't it? Jacob, Israel, behold, I die. It will all count for nothing, friends, if you have not the saving love. Of Christ, if you have not put all your trust in the Saviour, friends, it's not going to mean anything, is it? This love affair with death, this flirting with death, dear friends, it must be dealt with. It has to be dealt with. You must become serious about death, about eternal life. For all this, would we not seek to become more grave and spiritually minded like Jacob, like Israel, about life, eternal life and death? And say with the aged patriarch Israel, behold, I die. I'm dying. But he says so. He says so with great assurance and peace. Knowing that he's converted. Knowing that he's redeemed. For to be carnally minded as death, but to be spiritually minded as life and peace. Israel had peace and assurance and comfort in death. And this brings us to our second point, really, and that is having comfort and assurance in death. The scriptures tell us that we can have true comfort and assurance in death. Do you and do I have peace, have this peace and comfort and assurance for when we die, for when we breathe our last? Well, for years, Jacob didn't have this peace, did he? He fled from Esau didn't he? Over fear of his life. He was often alone, often afraid in the wilderness. He was often troubled, wasn't he? He endured sleepless nights as a shepherd looking after Laban's sheep, didn't he? He was deceived in marriage. He went and went many evils, didn't he? Jacob wrestled with all these things that we do, friends. Death pursued after him, got very close to him. It was catching up to him. The devil, his sin, this world, the last enemy, death, the king of terrors. Death proved too strong for him, friends. And it will, it will prove too strong for us. We cannot put it off. 
Especially, friends, we see with Jacob, he found himself alone, afraid, and the coming of his elder brother Esau. Esau was coming with 400 men, wasn't he? Remember when he fled, took his, his, his wives, his children from Laban, and he then uh, heard that Esau was coming with his 400 men of war. He had deceived his brother. His brother wanted to kill him. Jacob faced death straight in the face, then with fear, alone. The scriptures talk about it. It says he was afraid, he was distressed, he was alone. With fear, alone, and in weakness. Often many people face death in this way. You know, you can't bring people with you in death. You go, you go in the valley of, of shadows all by yourself. If you're not a Christian, you're, you're facing death alone. He, at that point, was facing it alone. In weakness, alone, in fear, death proved too strong for him, friends. Previously, he escaped death by the skin of his teeth, didn't he? Jacob, in his utter weakness, his utter weakness, alone and afraid, in Genesis 32, 9, prays to the God of Abraham and Isaac. He pours out his heart before the Lord in this wonderful prayer in his weakness and, and, and he's so honest with the Lord he says in Genesis 32.10 I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant I'm not I'm not worthy Lord it's like the thief upon the cross isn't it he doesn't even say Lord please save me he says just remember me in other words, I'm not worthy to be saved. I bring nothing to the table. I bring not my honours, my education, my talents. I don't bring anything to the table. I am not worthy. I'm a hell-deserving sinner. I've broken your laws. I've committed evil in thy sight. He says, I am not worthy of the least, of the least, of the crumbs, as it were, of the table. I'm not, I'm not even worthy of those, of the least of all the, the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. He sees now his unworthiness. He sees his weakness. His weakness. Has God showed you your weakness? Do you see yourself in this light? That is what true salvation does. It shows us, the light shows when we get closer to Christ, who is the light of the world, it shows us our sin, our weakness, our depravity. That night, dear friends, Jacob wrestled with God, didn't he? He wrestled with the Lord like never before, friends. Have you wrestled with the Lord in prayer? I mean, have you really wrestled with the Lord? Not intellectually. Yes, it must be intellectual, but with your heart. I mean, have you really come to the point in your life where the Lord is your only way out, your only escape, the, your, your, your only hope and trust? Have you got to that point? For Jacob, it was, he tried to overcome all these barriers in his life. The king of terrors, staring him in the face, the last enemy. He, he was too weak for it. He was afraid, he was alone. And that night he poured his heart out before the Lord. He wrestled with the Lord until the breaking of day. Death had haunted Jacob all of his life. It was relentless. It was demanding. It caught, caught, up, caught him up, didn't it? Death had proven true strong for him. There was no mercy to be found in death. And that night Jacob 
when in weakness, tired, all alone, sought the Lord with all his heart, dear friends, all his heart, until in weakness he found the Lord. In weakness he found the Lord. And that the same is true with each and every soul gathered here today. If the, if the word of God is speaking to you, if providence is speaking to you, and, and you see yourself as a, a weak, tired, alone, yes, we have loved ones and we praise the Lord for that, but they cannot save your soul. The broken systems of this world cannot save your soul. If you see yourself in this light today, get right with God. Cry unto him, seek him, until you know that you're born again. I tell you now, you can know of of assurance and salvation. You can know of God's peace because the Spirit gives you that peace and it gives you that assurance. In weakness, he prevailed. In weakness, not in strength. When he was weak, tired and low and at his wit's end, he prevailed against the Lord. Amazing, isn't it? It's like the opposite of this world, isn't it? This world wants us to be strong and independent. And, but in God's eyes, God's cross-handed theology, he sees the weaker, the younger, the despised things of this world. Joseph wanted to give his take of sons out of Pharaoh's glorious courts and, and mansions. I don't care for all these things. I want my, my children to be with the despised, abominable shepherds of Israel rather than enjoy the pleasures of the culture. You see, friends... This is God's way, and it's not man's ways. We must become weak. We must see ourselves. We must humble ourselves to the dust. We see in weakness, Israel, in the scriptures, deliberately, the name turns to Israel, not Jacob, Israel. The faith, the man of faith, has power now with God. In, in weakness, he prevailed against the Lord. The Lord allowed Jacob to win. <laughs> Imagine that. He allowed Jacob to win. Death didn't allow him to win. Death was demanding. The devil is demanding, relentless. But the Lord, in his mercy and kindness, in weakness, Jacob in tiredness, when he's at his wit's end, he had nothing nothing to, to, to give. But then the, he found strength in the Lord. The Lord allowed him to win. Amazing, isn't it? God's ways are amazing. The Lord allowed Jacob to win in weakness, to receive the blessing, to be saved. Jacob was given a new name from that moment onwards, from that day onwards, Israel. Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men. He has power now with God. Yes, in weakness. Yes, in fragility. Yes, in tiredness. Yes, all, when all things are against him, he has weakness now. With, he, in, his, in weakness he finds divine strength. He has power with God. No wonder why Israel in today's chapter, he in, Je- in Genesis 48, he reminisces. <laughs> in his dying breath, he's reminiscing, isn't he? Of God's goodness upon, upon facing death. Death has no sting anymore for, for Israel. He says in verse 16, The angel which redeemed me from all evil. 
the Lord, the Lord of glory, the Saviour, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who has redeemed me from all evil, past, present, future. He has covered my sin. He has paid the debt of my sin. The one that's paid the full debt of my sin, my Saviour, the one that's paid for my entrance into heaven, my imputed righteousness, the same imputed righteousness that Abraham found in the promised Messiah, the, the, the one unbeknown to me at times who has always worked all things for good. When I said all things were against me, <laughs> all things were for me. The one who has fed me, not only physically but spiritually, the one in whom now I have power with through the power of the Holy Spirit, the one who has overcome the king of terrors, death. This last enemy, now. <laughs> you could have that, can't you? See, the Lord Jesus said, friends, in John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me have everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death unto life. You've got life when you become a Christian. When you truly believe upon the Lord's love to you on the cross. You're born again. People are, are living, but they're dying. They're dying, aren't they? They're, they're, they're spiritually dead. But we need to be made alive. John 17.3 says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee. The, whole, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Eternal life, dear friends. Are you ready to die? You can, you can be ready, dear friends, if you consider yourself a poor, wretched, hell-deserving sinner and casting all your lot upon the Lord, seeking all him, looking upon his merits alone. The Lord Jesus said in John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Amen. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk